You're listening to highlights from the One Planet podcast interview with Andre Snare Magnuson, Icelandic writer, public speaker, and documentary director. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. In a way, we are addicted to the superpowers that energy gives us, and the effect of switching off all the power could be as bad as the worst effects of climate change. That is, to get a social chaos and some kind of a crumbling of our order and institutions. Like America has about 1 billion devices that run by oil or coal or gas, and they need to be electrified. And the electricity that these devices get needs to be solar, wind, or some kind of alternative thermal power. And so, yes, part of the solution is technology and changing from one technology to another. But then you have to ask, what is the paradigm of that technology? Is the traffic jam in an electric car better than a traffic jam in an oil-driven car? And then it comes down to, is it possible to take a society that was based on waste and consumption, and is it some kind of illusion that those habits will be seamlessly translated into clean energy or clean tech or whatever, and everything will be fine. And Or also, because you spoke about COVID, there's this illusion also that the transition will be some kind of seamless upgrades of our system, that we won't let go of everything. As people, for example, name the 10 greatest things that are annoying you of how you are addressing climate change, how you have been forced to do that by the government or, or the international community in a similar way that we were forced to deal with Corona. And people are like, yeah, that's a very good question. It was a voting versus just the top 10 things. How your life changed from IPCC report number three to number five. Thinking and thinking. And then people think and think and think. And it's like, well, my uncle, he just bought a Tesla. Okay. <laughs> so that's the ultimate sacrifice you can find in your surroundings that your poor uncle was forced to buy a Tesla. And that's, I think it symbolizes very well that we haven't started addressing this. We're still in the old system. We're still in the pre-knowledge of climate. There are some tweaks being done and there are some things being done. But in the big picture, we have not been mobilized. We have not been called to action or called to responsibility. And that's why when I'm writing that chapter that I read, the responsibility is just against our own children. We haven't even, we're so entitled. So this is in the start of time and water. And this is the section that is more about time. I asked Hulta Filipia, my daughter, to do a little math puzzle. How old is your great-grandma if she was born in 1924? She's 94. Grandma Hulta replies immediately. Last math, I say. Well, I know how old she is, my daughter says. All right, but now you'll really have to do some sums. When will you be 94? So it would be the year I was born, 2008. Plus 94, exactly, I say. She takes a piece of paper and pen and looks skeptically at the sheet. She shows me the result as though it must be a misunderstanding. Is that really right? 2,102? Yes, hopefully you'll be as energetic as Grandma Hilda is now. Maybe you'll even be living in this same house. Maybe your 10-year-old great-granddaughter will be visiting, sitting with you in this kitchen in 2,102, just like you're sitting here right now. Yes, maybe, says Hilda, sipping a glass of milk. One more equation. When will your great-granddaughter turn 94 years old? Hilda writes some figures on a piece of paper with a little help. So would she have been born in 2022? Yes, that's right. Okay, 2,092 plus 94 is 2,186. She laughs at the thought. Yes, can you imagine that? You born in 2008 might know someone still alive in the year 2000. 
186. Ulta purses your mouth and looks into the air. Can I go now? She asks. Almost, I say. One more person. How long is it from 1924 to 2186? Ulta does the math. Is it 262 years? Imagine that. 262 years. That's the length of time you connect the cross. You'll know the people who span this time. Your time is the time of the people you know and love, the time that molds you, and your time is also the time of the people you will know and love, the time that you will shake. You can touch 262 years with your bare hands. Your grandma taught you. You will teach your great-granddaughter. You can have a direct impact on the future right up to the year 2186. I just felt this urgency and how disconnected we are from time and just our most basic continuity. So I'm not even talking about seven generations. I'm just talking about when my own kids are middle-aged. So that's even radical in our culture. To think, uh, how is the world when your kids become middle-aged? So when my kids are 50, around 2000, that's a time that we haven't even planned to be a stable time on Earth. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to write about climate change, I can't take for granted that people are actually connected to time. Uh, to the timeline that I'm writing about. We're going to talk about things, but first I'm going to remind you that 2178 is a very intimate date for you. So when you read climate science and read dates like 2080, you don't feel like it's beyond your imagination, beyond 80 years after 2000, but it's like only halfway in your most intimate continuity of the people that you love the most. And then we're not even talking about people that are beyond the reach. Professors from Rice University, Dominic Boyer and Simone Howe, they're anthropologists doing research on climate change, and they noticed that Iceland had lost its first glacier to climate change. So they planned this event where we would place a monument in memory of the first glacier Iceland loses to climate change and asked me to write the text for that plaque. I was thinking, okay, I'm writing this in copper. So I'm writing to the people around me here and now, but just like in a graveyard, somebody might come after 200, 300, 500, 600 years and read these words. So I'm simultaneously addressing my peers, my fellow earthlings here and now, and then talking to people that might stumble upon that glacier in the near or distant future. So I wrote this monument is to acknowledge that we know what is happening and what needs to be done, but only you know who did it. And then uh, August 2019, 415 ppm of CO2. Ice covers about 10% of Iceland. And then the glacial rivers are basically shaping the landscape and the waterfalls all around Iceland and black sands and feeding the cod because the spring flows of glacial mist actually is good for the fish in the ocean. It brings nutrients. So what is Iceland without this? Just land. And so losing more than just glaciers, losing some kind of identity or place. And then in the big picture, I'm not most worried about the Icelandic glaciers because the real tragedy is if the Himalayan glaciers go the same way. And we have it also in the Andes and in many places in the world where glaciers are very important for agriculture and the basic water supply of people. So that's where I go into mythology in the book because in Nordic mythology, the world started with a cow, a frozen cow made of frost and snow. So this is one of my first books. If people have been to Iceland, they will recognize the logo, so the bonus logo. So this is the biggest supermarket chain in Iceland. Their body changes every element every five years. So after five years, everything you are has become different material. So if you shop in bonus for five years, then everything you are, every tangible ounce of your body came from bonus.
and home in a yellow plastic bag. It was just beautiful. You know, I was 23 years old. Why do I want to write? Where do I put my talent? Am I just entertaining? Am I bringing everything right up to the table? And I didn't like any of the ideas that I had. And I was working in the archives of the University Institute, the manuscript in Magnuson Institute in Iceland. And I was thinking of fairy tales and culture and how there was no difference between children's culture and grown-up culture. It was just mythology or folklore. And it wasn't like one type of story was for grown-ups and one for children, but we all shared some kind of a pool of stories. And I was thinking about mythology because I was putting on display this primal source of Nordic mythology and how mythology teaches us all sorts of things. It brings us all sorts of metaphors that we can still refer to, you know, Pandora's box or the Democlass word or, or just all these metaphors that, that mythology tells us about love and Prometheus and, and the world tree and, you know, all these things and order. And then I was thinking, but all the mythology was created before we knew we were about living on a planet. There's no mythology about how difficult it is to live on a planet where every single person has such a short horizon, but you never see the whole planet. And you never understand that you can do something on one side of the planet. Or there's no metaphors or mythology that explains how one action on this side of the planet might completely devastate the opposite side of the planet. So I think Corona was very painful because it took away our intimacy, our connections to our neighbors, to our communities, to each other. So I think that Addressing the climate crisis is about taking other things or, or changing other habits, but it's not taking away the theater, the dance, the coming together to eat, the concerts, the culture. So I think we can take away quite a lot of wasteful energy burning, and we can divert quite a lot of talent into fixing the grid, into being clean, etc. But I think we can go quite far without losing as much as we lost during Corona. That is, while we can still hug grandmothers and still go to schools and we can still entertain each other, but for a, a while, we might have to skip something. And we just have to Google what we might have to skip. But in hindsight, if we do that for a few years, while we are going through the transition, it will not be the most painful five years that we went through. So I think some kind of a war effort of mobilizing people towards the cause and the reduction of CO2, I think it would be a fulfilling thing. So it's based on science, but then within that paradigm, you think, should there not be spirituality? And I was thinking, when did we stop having permission or declaring things to be holy, for example? Every civilization, every generation has seen something holy somewhere, you know? has said, this is larger than me. I'm not touching this. I'm not coming close to this. I'm bowing for this. And we were had this discussion of the future of the Icelandic Highlands. And I could not say a place was beautiful. It was not a clay. And I could not say a place was holy because there is just some kind of a spirit of the place. Rather than kind of treating spirituality or holiness or something else, just asking this question, what regime are we living in where the planet is being derailed by a billion rational decisions, rational engineering, rational design, rational governments, and rational law. We are derailing the planet. And in hindsight, every other place had been holy. We would not be faced with this problem. Because in some ancient civilizations, they said, don't go into that forest because something terrible will happen. I interviewed a Hindu guru, but I also interviewed lots of scientists. And sometimes the gurus are actually more rational than scientists. <laughs> and I just talk about climate solutions. 
people tend to understand that and they understand stories. And so I would say that kind of the encouragement that I take on the task and write about ocean acidification. It's a very strong belief that the artist does have a role in our society. Sometimes he's an entertainer, sometimes he's just documenting, but sometimes you maybe have a role in a very fundamental shift in our history, in the transition of from one paradigm to another. And I think that's where we are now. And I felt like I could not be a writer here and now in history and not doing some effort in addressing this issue. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.